In last week's episode, I introduced the idea of pair programming, a software development practice that has two developers working on the same thing on the same computer, one acting as the driver, the other acting as a navigator, with regular role reversal. I talked about why there is an increase in the developer hours spent on a problem, the benefits of faster delivery, better quality, knowledge sharing and better team communication soon outweighs the cost. In this episode, I want to talk about a similar software development practice, but much more amped up, mob programming. Welcome to the Better Return on Investment from Software Development Podcast. A podcast aimed at those that fund software development and those that work with them. In a series of short weekly podcasts, I, your host Mark Taylor, hope to educate and inform on why traditional management processes won't get you the best return on your investment. And along the way, I'll provide some advice on how to improve that. Wikipedia describes mob programming as, begin quote, Mob programming is a software development approach where the whole team work on the same thing at the same time in the same space and at the same computer. This is similar to pair programming where two people sit at the same computer and collaborate on the same code at the same time. With mob mob programming, the collaboration is extended to everyone in the team, while still using a single computer for writing the code and inputting it into the code base. End quote. So whereas pair programming has two people sat at the same computer, mob programming is more likely to be between three and six, the full team. Similar to pair programming, this works by one person acting as the driver, operating the keyboard and mouse, while the rest of the team take on the role of navigators. They help to direct the driver through the work. The role of driver is then rotated through the team, generally each driver taking five to 15 minutes at the computer. Due to the number of people involved, this will generally involve a bit more setup than pair programming. A pair can start developing generally at anyone's desk. A mob will generally need a space large enough for them to be able to sit comfortably, a large enough monitor so everyone can see, and a whiteboard. They will also likely need to instigate and involve rules to ensure that everyone is comfortable, engaged and productive. I'll talk about some of those as I go through this episode. Unlike the pair programming episode, I don't have a study available to use as a reference. Even though mob programming has the same origin as pair programming, one of the extreme programming practices, it's fair to say that mob programming is not as widely adopted, understood or accepted as pair programming. As such, unfortunately, I've yet to find a study on its benefits. So most of this episode will be based on my personal experiences. One of the best descriptions of the act of mob programming is from a software company called New Relic. They equated mob programming to tending a campfire. Once the campfire is lit, it keeps burning as long as there are campers to tend it and keep it going. We don't need all the campers to be there, so if a camper needs to go do something else, they can, and they can rejoin the community around the campfire once they are ready. With mob programming, once a team starts, if somebody needs to pop out the room for whatever reason, maybe to handle a live problem, the mob continues working. That individual then joins back in once they have dealt with the distraction. While this may not seem a lot, one of the biggest impacts on software development productivity is interruption. I talked about this in episode 7 when I introduced Lean. Task switching is considered a significant source of waste 
as each interruption takes our developer out of their mental process, causing a considerable cognitive load to return back to that state. The generally accepted impact is 15 minutes for every interruption. From personal experience, I can certainly testify that it can become impossible to make forwards progress on a difficult problem if you're subject to regular interruption. This is why in my younger years it was common for me to work late into the night or at weekends so that I could actually get my real work done free of distractions. In a mob, rather than the mental process being maintained just by the individual, it is by the team in the room. Thus, if an individual in the room has to step out to deal with that interruption, then the mob continue to retain their current thought process and can continue to progress the task at hand. The individual can then pick up on the mob's progress on their return. This is not something that pair programming can provide. If one of a pair steps, out, steps away to deal with an interruption, the pair is immediately broken. Any progress undertaken while one is away becomes effectively a presentation of this is what I've done on their return. Having the mob greatly reduces the impact of cognitive process from interruption. This means progress on the task is faster. And that means we're in a position to deliver a return on that investment quicker. One comment I've read is that we're already working in teams to deliver software products. Moving to mob program is simply the same thing, but removing all the needless conversations. I find this an interesting point of view. By having everyone in the room making decisions and actively contributing to the work, you simply do away with a number of activities. You don't need the team to explain their work to each other. They will have been present during the creation process. They understand why certain things were done in a certain way. There can be considerable effort in keeping everyone in team up to speed. Lean describes that as another source of waste, handoffs. But at the risk of sounding like a cheap salesman, the benefits don't stop there. The benefits coming from pair programming can be expected to be amplified by mob programming. Having more minds on the problem means that it further reduces the chance of writer's block. It increases the likelihood of better design. It increases the resulting quality. And it increases the suitability of the work to the problem at hand. On that last point, having a number of people in the room does help with keeping the team honest and focused on good practice. It also promotes a high level of energy. It is considering more unlikely that an off-topic deviation or over-engineering won't be called out by someone in the room. A single developer, even a pair, can find themselves going down a technical rabbit hole chasing the wrong thing, largely because it interests them. That very human temptation is much easier spotted by a group when any developer can raise the question, are we going off topic here? As an aside, I've known plenty of business meetings that really needed someone like that developer to ask the same question. The mob programming practice can be difficult to establish though. I find that the initial developer reaction can be quite negative. I know that when I first started on it, I was definitely nervous to be involved. While I would definitely consider myself a very good developer, that wasn't the role I'd been brought in to perform. On that team, I'd been brought in as a combination of architect, team lead, and general problem solver. And I was going to mob with full-time developers with considerably more experience with the software product. I would admit that I entered mopping with a certain level of trepidation, not least the fear of embarrassing myself to the wider team. The truth was considerably different. My lack of historical experience was actually a positive. It allowed me to question historic assumptions and practices, 
in some cases causing a course correction, while in others allowing me to catch up with the team very rapidly. I personally found it one of the best methods of onboarding to a team I've ever been for. Not only do you learn the product quickly, you also learn to work with the team quickly. You learn by doing and as part of that wider group. You get feedback on your understanding. Rather than making an assumption on how the system works, then labouring under that incorrect assumption for days, weeks or even months, the group can correct those assumptions quickly. In the same way, it is great for sharing new techniques. Very much a win-win. As with many software development practices, there will be rituals and rules that help us to improve its effectiveness. The big one for me is that everyone in the room has to be engaged. I'm not normally one for edicts, but mobile phones and laptops are not welcome other than the one that we're actually using for work. Mob programming is not about the minority doing the work, while the majority are checking Facebook, answering emails, or watching cat video videos. They are there to be engaged in the problem at hand. If for some reason they aren't engaged, they should leave the room, attend to what needs attending, and return when they are ready to be engaged. And this is why the campfire analogy is so apt. The team will need to have a shared understanding of their rules for mobbing, rules that will be arrived at over time and with experience. Things like, how long before they swap the driver? How long they run a mobbing session for? What types of work are appropriate for mobbing? What types of work aren't appropriate for mobbing? How they handle breaks to allow those checking a Facebook and watching those cat videos? These are all the rules that the team will arrive at naturally. From a personal perspective, I found mob programming to be better than pair programming. I find with pair programming that it's easier to reach an opinion stalemate, for example. If you have two people with strong opinions, when they reach something they differ on greatly, it can be more challenging to resolve. It does seem to amplify conflict situations. The good side is that it raises that conflict to the surface so it can be dealt with. Coping strategies soon evolve. Even if it comes down to a simple coin toss mechanism, to provide a deciding vote. I found that the stalemate doesn't seem to occur as much in mob programming. Don't get me wrong, contradicting strong opinions do surface, and in fact should be actively encouraged for the best outcomes, but the decision making process seems less likely to get stuck in analysis paralysis. Generally the group will pick a decision and go with it. If it turns out to be wrong later, they make the necessary adjustments. Often the forward momentum is more valuable than getting it right first time. In this episode, I have introduced mob programming, in which the full team work on the same problem around the same computer. I've talked about the benefits I find and address some of the perceived problems. I've talked from my own perspective on why I really like mob programming. Mob programming, more than probably any topic I've covered so far in this podcast series, is probably the most controversial. To date, most of the topics I've covered would largely be considered good practice by most of the software development industry. Mob programming is much more on the edge of that accepted practice. I suspect a lot of this is due to a lack of exposure. It is not a widely taught practice. And I think it can be difficult to convince management to have faith in the process. So if there is any message from this episode, it is to keep an open mind on the practice. I believe it can provide a great return on investment, but first your team need to feel that it is safe to experiment with it. Again, like pair programming, and a number of the practices I advocate in this series, the key here is not to force it, rather make it understood 
that it is not only allowed, but it is a practice that is encouraged to establish it if it is of benefit. This podcast has been hosted by me, Mark Taylor. It has been produced by Redfold Consultancy, a consultancy that can help you achieve better return on your software development investment. You can contact them or sign up to the mailing list at red-folder.com or you can reach out to me at Twitter at redfoldermark. The next episode will be the 25th. To mark this milestone, I'll be doing a summary of the series to date. The aim of the episode will be to act as a recap and also a starting point for anyone new to the series. I'll see you then.